So uh, welcome to episode three of Inside the Comedy Institute. Uh, with me today is uh, one of my favorite all-time people, not just comedians, brilliant comedian, but also just a great person, uh, Marina Franklin. She's had appearances on Conan, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, One Hour Special Single Black Female. She's been at the Just for Laughs Festival in, in Montreal, the Melbourne Comedy Festival, Bonnaroo, and of course she is the host of a very popular podcast called Friends like us uh which is dedicated to women in comedy uh so here she is ladies and gentlemen marina franklin everybody oh hi. hi everyone it's so good to be here i mean first of all greg that was just that was a wonderful intro i see why oh, you get you. work <laughs> i mean it was, it was all of the pluses it had energy you were sitting upright Thank you, were, you. You know, and happy, and 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 I believe you. <laughs> well, you should, because it's all about you. And you are, I, I gotta tell you, you're an extraordinary, you've always been an extraordinary talent. And, uh, you know, and watching you really get, you know, these opportunities that you've gotten over the last, you know, I guess four or five years has been uh, extraordinary to watch. And, and it's one of those things that where I'm just like, wow, it, you know, when somebody, gets it who really deserves it. Mm. it it's 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 a pleasure you know justice it is it's like you yes, said that someone... you said that to me is that right yeah you said it it's true it absolutely is there's like there's justice in the universe someone who deserves this is actually getting it and that's that's honestly how i feel and let's just jump in there i mean obviously very we've known each other for going on two decades now we met wow. around 2000. And to be honest, I actually remember uh, the first time I saw you. I remember the, the night I met you. It was doing a show uh, in a basement beneath a pizza place, um, uh, Two Boots oh, on yes. the Lower East Side. That's right. And it was a show produced by a guy who I'm actually still friends with named Tim Halpern. And Tim was, you know, this is 2000, and Tim was like the first guy who was producing a show that he was really big on diversity. He was like, I want every performer to be different, you know? And so he would have ethnically and female. And so he wanted it to be a really diverse show. So I go down there and I remember seeing you and I was just like, wow. I thought you were so funny and so pretty and oh, so wow. sweet. I immediately was, I was like, who is this? And then your whole act was about your boyfriend. And I was like, of course, of course, of course, <laughs> of course he's taken. But let's go, let's just really quickly, what I want, wanted to now, now you've, you've blossomed into this, this very uh, incredible professional uh, um, dominant comedian. Now the industry they're always trying to put us in a box. They're always trying to pigeonhole us and say that you're an observational comic or an autobiographical alt comic or a blue comic. They're always trying to just make us one thing. So right. if you had to say what, what kind of comedian you are, how would you describe the type of comedian you are? I think that's the problem. There isn't one thing. That's <laughs> there why isn't. They, that's what I'm saying. That's Absolutely. the problem they've things. had. That's yeah. the problem that they've had with me is they don't know what box I'm in or what box. And that is what I've always gone for is to not be in the box. So Absolutely. in order to say, by the way, that's my podcast, that's my fro and that's me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like in order to, to describe it, 
would would probably be the injustice if I put it into one word, because that is where this inter this industry still needs to learn is that uh, specifically for black women, you mm -hmm. cannot put us in a box. I mean, it's been said over and over again, and I think they may be slowly getting it, but I don't know. I mean, you know, you have the sassy black woman um, mm -hmm. for the industry. They'll call it the Def Jam comic, which is an insult to the Def Jam comics. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have, <laughs> right, because they're more than just Def Jam. They're right. Exactly. They, if they, they, if they say Def Jam, they mean loud and aggressive, like right off the bat. Or just unintelligent. Okay. Or they just roll out of bed Ooh. fun. They just roll out of bed funny. There's no thought process. Um, also, there is the alternative scene, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then there is the the blue comics, like you were saying. So, you know, I don't fall into any one of those boxes. I've done all of it. I, I when I started, as you know, I've done the alternative scene. I did black rooms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did. Um, I did oh, really white boy rooms when I opened for Jim Norton years ago. Um, uh -huh. I've been overseas uh, in Australia, Ireland, Scotland, South Africa. I, I don't think it falls into a category. You know, I think it is about being authentic. I think if that was the name I would give my act, it would be authentic. Wow. Wow. I got to tell you, that's mind blowing and it's right on point. And I feel like that's true for, for veteran comedians. I mean, I can do, I do storytelling. I do observational jokes. I do personal stuff. I do blue material. I, I mean, you're, you're in this, when you're in this for as long as we've been in it, you develop all of those things. Yeah. I mean, you know? I would say most people would probably describe me as a great storyteller. I wouldn't say I'm just a joke teller, but I do like telling jokes too. Yeah. So uh, while I'm telling a story, there are one-liners, but I'm not just a one-liner comic. Right. I tell stories and then there's one-liners in it. And then sometimes I'll do observational. It's whatever mood I'm in. It's like, you exactly. know, what ice cream you want. Yeah. What, what flavor I, you want today? <laughs> yeah. You know, one time I was getting uh, this manager came to see me. This My agent uh, arranged for this big manager to come see me. And, and so I tried to show him the cornucopia of my <laughs> material. Oh. You know, I had some storytelling. I had some this and some jokes. And this. I tried to do a little bit of everything. That's what I was trying to do. And, and I, I called my agent. I was like, well, what do you think? He goes, well, he said you were just a joke teller. And I was like, is that what he saw? That I was just a joke. I told a whole story in the middle. What, what do you mean? I'm just. It was. It was very disheartening. I was like, well, if that's all he saw, then I guess he's not meant to be my manager. Right. So, yeah. You know, that's the way it goes. Um, now, Hurtful. when we first, it was. I was. Listen, I really wanted it because this guy has a lot of big clients, and so I really wanted to be on that list too. But you know what? If they don't get you, they don't. Get, and sometimes I feel like they don't want to get you when they're seeing you just as a favor because you have the same agent as one of their other clients. Right. I feel like they're just kind of coming in there with just looking for an answer to the. Eh, nah, he's this. Well, could you I know? ask you this? Why do you need a manager at this point? At that point, 
Did you think you needed one? Uh, well, even at this point, I guess because uh, it, on the acting side, I have great representation and I, I do very well, but I don't really have anybody that pitches me for the stand-up comedy shows that okay. come along. You know, because those are really put out casting notices that acting agents are going to present me for, you know? So I really need somebody to help me uh, in that regards. And so that's really what I was looking for was advancement on the stand-up comedy side more than on the acting side. But I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to the beginning because when we started out, this is the early 2000s in New York, when, when I was getting going and that's when I met you, I don't know. When did you first get to New York and start doing comedy in New York? It was about 1997. 97. Okay. So you'd been there a few years by the time I got there. Yes. Now, at that time, comedy was still a very misogynistic endeavor. And when I first saw you, you know, I really wondered if, if you were going to make it. I mean, because you were so sweet. But then once I got to know you, I realized that you were, in fact, very, very tough. You know, you, the, the, the sweet exterior was genuine. That is who you are. But inside, you're a very tough person. Thank now, you. did you... Did you think you had to learn to be tough? And what was it like in those early years in New York for you? Well, it's funny that you said that. Bonnie McFarland said that about me, too. She thought I was very Pollyanna-like in the beginning. But as you know, that's just the exterior. I mm. mean, I had a very tough grandma growing up, which was part of my act. Her name was Grandma Moot. So I was always tough on the inside. But I always had kindness and a Midwesternness about me. That was my exterior. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't a New Yorker. You know, I was had just moved to New York, you know, a couple of years before doing stand up. But I was not a New Yorker. The assumption that anyone outside of New York has toughness is ignorant and dumb. Um, the reality is when New Yorkers assume that anyone outside of New York is like that, that's the mistake you make because there's so much inside. And so, you know, the thing is, I wasn't used to the comedy scene and I was coming from theater. Mm. So I was around, yeah, a lot of men. But in theater, I was around a lot of men. I just didn't know there was a difference, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't know that in theater where we created safe spaces where you right. could, you know, you in theater, you would you would hug up next to your acting partner and mm -hmm. you, you, you made, you created a safe space amongst each other. Everyone was friends. It almost looked like an orgy of friends. Yeah. Cannot do that in stand up. Um, but I learned, <laughs> I, I, you cannot. Is every man for yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I, I learned and that. Yes. But I learned that the hard way, you know, but it's also like, and when I say that, I don't mean I was like, you know, people assaulted me. I don't mean that. You know, um, what I mean is that I learned that you had to gain respect by being really funny and like by being a woman and the only one in that scene, it was tough. And so I dressed down. Um, I used to not understand why I was getting up. I used to, you know, get very frustrated about it. Um, I would say I was very kind in the way that I approached things. And then eventually I was mentored by a couple of friends who would just kind of help navigate. These were men, you know, that yeah. helped navigate my path in a sense or direct me in a way so that I was one protected two, uh, knew the right direction to go. And so, and then I remember Greg Rogel saying to me, you just got to get tough skin, you know, and that is in comedy tough skin. So that was right. like, you know, you just have to learn like just because you bombed one night, 
doesn't mean it's over. You just got to get back up. It's because the audience is cruel to you. You just got to get tough skin in the way that this doesn't like, you don't walk away going, I should quit. Right. And that's an easy, and I always say that's the toughest part is dealing with so much failure on stage in the beginning. It, it hurts real, real bad. And yeah. there's a lot of funny people out there, but they don't have what it takes to go through that fire to make it to the place where you have so much <laughs> material to where, you know, the majority of your performances are going to go great. And, uh, you know, it, 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 that, that, that process hurts. It, it can. Yeah. And it, for a lot, it can make you want to just quit. I mean, you know, you're just banging your head against the wall. And Greg, as you know, we both came up around the same time. We were trying to get on stage at the Boston Comedy Club as new comics. And at that time, there was like, you know, veterans like, you know, Patrice O'Neill, um, DC Benny, Tony Woods, you know, uh, you know, Rich Foss. I, I didn't want to say Rich, but, you know, he's a veteran. Uh, but Rich Voss, <laughs> you know, Bill Burr was stomping grounds. Every yep. now and then, you know, Sarah Silverman might drop by. Or, you know, that was Dave Chappelle's home, too, in New York City. Yep. So we were kids. You and I, we were just like, please, can we get on? And, you know, or I would go to New York Comedy Club and not even know how to break through. In you know, the idea of getting up regularly at these clubs was, like, unimaginable at that point. Yeah. The comic strip, you know, was Yo. like the lottery, doing the lottery. And you and I would go around doing like open mics and, you know, it was frustrating, you know, and you yeah. do get that. You do develop a thick skin for the rejection. Yeah. That's it. It's absolutely true. Now, what is your material? What's your joke writing process like when you... Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought you were about to enter. I was like, are you about to say something? Or, no, I'm just listening you, to you. Okay. When you start, you know, I mean, some people, you know, because this is the question that co young comics have all the time. So is, is it beneficial for me to uh, wake up every morning and write for an hour? Is that what I should do? Or should I just wait until I have an idea? Or what? And I, you know, and so I always tell them it's what works for you. I mean, if you feel like the best way, like, uh, you know, I interviewed Adam Hunter and you know Adam Hunter's a one-liner guy and but shockingly his whole process is to take an experience write the whole thing out and then pare it down to a one-line joke and to me that sounded like a lot of work <laughs> I was like I was like wow I would never go through that process so everybody's process is a little bit different how does your process where where does from the, the where does it start to the finished product project. Walk us through that. It's so funny. I don't have one. No, <laughs> I think I, <laughs> you have the wrong person. I, I you know. It's like, what process? I mean, like, no. <laughs> I don't know. It's called growing up with one parent and like, you know, growing up in a black neighborhood, then a white neighborhood. It's called having a fucked up, up upbringing. <laughs> uh, that's the process. Sorry, folks. Uh, being black, being marginalized, being a woman, process. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> it's That's kind of incredible. All, it's called already being in you. Um, but that is, even though I'm joking, that is actually true. You know, a lot of people are trying to be funny who aren't funny. 
So that's fine. You can get better. You can. You could even become like a star because you are you are working at what the industry would allow is uh, you've got the material, the content, you've, you've put yourself in the box that they want, you know? Right. Um, but the thing is, is to be truly great is, you know, I look to like the greats, like Patrice O'Neill was a great comedian and he talked about being authentic. Tony Woods is a great comedian. I wouldn't say that I ever saw Tony Woods write anything down. I never saw Tony Woods with a group of writers, you know, let's go to the coffee shop and work on some jokes. I've never seen it. Uh, these are just people, Keith Robinson. I've never, you know, Keith Robinson works on his material, you know, and Patrice worked on his material, sure. But I wouldn't say it was that process. Like their process came very organically to them. And I would say the same thing for me. It wasn't anything like, I don't wake up in the morning and I don't write. That's probably why I'm not like a writer in a writer's room immediately. I mean, but I am a great writer, you know, right. my process, if I had to label it a process is just by having experiences and going on stage and telling it as it is. So I don't write anything down. I may jot down like, um, this story happened to me and that's it. And then I, and then someone once said to me, they were like, that's it. Are you crazy? I go, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Because the funniest thing doesn't come from me sitting at my desk and writing it down. You know what comes from that moment? Hackiness, contrived material, um, mm. really mm. not in my words, because that's not how I perform. You know, when I want to get up on stage in front of an audience, you know what's funny? I'm funny. You know what's not funny? Thinking I'm funny. Thinking about how it was mm. funny. So mm -hmm. I would just, it, and it is a dangerous place to get oh, yeah. on stage and trust that you are in fact funny and that you are the person that is going to be able to tell the story in a way now it's a slow process i don't i don't recommend it to everyone <laughs> out there um it's organic that's very genuine that's very genuine it doesn't work for everyone but it it's mine I record yeah. after, you know, I record every set. I, do I listen to it? That's, That's always the question. Do you listen to it? Because I've recorded so much stuff and not listened to a drop of it. I think that's the difference between me being good and me being great. The goal is to get more consistent in my process. So I could tell you the process, but I could tell you the flaws of, of my process. And the flaw is that I should be listening to it every single time. And yeah. every single time, because here's the thing, after doing my hour, single black female, if you haven't watched it, it's on Amazon Prime, butchang. Um, <laughs> after I did that, I realized every comic, unless you do an hour, you really don't know what it's like to be a good comic or great comic. The hour will teach you the process in the way that it needs to be. So like, you know, writing out that set after you figure out the order, figure, you know, actually sitting down after you figured out where the jokes are and what the story you, it is you want to tell, you should write it out. You should, mm. because after you write it out, then you will come with some of the joke jokes in it. Right. 
you know, right. um, and that's what makes the material eventually become more of stand-up comedy and not just, you know, just uh, one woman show. Right. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I actually talk about, I mean, storytelling is unique that way in that when you do it for stand-up, mm -hmm. it still has to function like material. Otherwise, if you're not going to have those punchlines in there, then, then you are doing a one-person show. However, know? I will say Hannah Gatsby, who was our, you know, everyone debated, but who is a good friend of mine, I would argue you could do whatever the fuck you want. If you're in the mood to just tell a story, if you, first of all, Hannah Gatsby earned the right to take a break, okay? I was on the road with her. She worked like a comic, like a dog. She worked hard as a comedian. She earned the right to do whatever she wanted to do with her act. Comics wanted to argue about whether that's funny, but then Dave Chappelle did it and all of a sudden it's brilliant. You know, but the thing is, is like she wanted and she didn't expect it to be successful. She was actually going to quit. You could call that no. a, a lot of people called that a one woman show. There were no laughs in it. So the process can be whatever you want it to be. That's my point is if you yourself feel like you need to get on stage and call yourself a comedian, but you want to communicate it the way you want to. That is what is your authenticity. And then you define that process for yourself. Don't let someone define the process for you. You define it. But there are some tools for young comics who really want to learn. And that is one of them. You record your set. Mm -hmm. um, you write it down. Oh, and you should be funny. <laughs> that does help. At the end of the day, that does help. Well, and it I think that's kind of does. Yeah, but I think that's kind of where the controversy. And and I have to say, I haven't seen the Hannah Gatsby special. I've only heard about it, and because I don't consume all of the comedy that's out there, I, I consume some specifically if I if it's somebody I know, then I'm going to see it. Like I watched all of the They Ready that Tiffany Addish put up. I was so glad to see all of those people get specials, particularly Tony Woods. Wow. Uh, to, to see him finally get that shine. I actually sent her a message. I was like, thank you for giving Tony Woods the, somebody that we, he was the man when we were starting out, he was the man, you know? And he's been the man the whole time to comedians. He's one of those classic comedians, comedian, you know? And somehow the industry just overlooked him forever. And so it was extraordinary to see him finally get that shine. Um, but uh, I, I, I forget where I was going, but I don't consume everything. So I didn't consume the Hannah Gatsby thing so much as I heard about it. And I guess the, and the majority of the conversation around it tended to be the question of, but was it funny? Right. And, and that was the question because a lot of what I was hearing was, but it's not funny. But it was and addressing, it was addressing comedy. She was, she was, it was like her own dissertation to herself about why she made everything in her act a punchline and that she has a right to do that. But do you feel that, and again, I, I need to see it. I need to go it's back. Art. I need to watch it. It's just art. It is art. Well, you know, and that's how I felt. And she, she didn't call it, Stan Netflix did. Right. Netflix called it. She was but doing it, but a, if, a show. If, but the question 
is so brilliantly opposed because of her special is what is stand-up comedy and stand-up comedy has been defined by men which was her point so um you know the fact that we are questioning whether it was stand-up was part of its brilliance that was part of the that was the point right you know, and one of the, the so, it reminds me of the Tig Notaro special. I don't know if you saw Tig Notaro special. Um, you know, the one where she took her shirt off uh, after having the. the no, I'm joking. I, I know that's what she did. Yeah. <laughs> I, and people were like, well, what did you think of it? And I was like, I thought it was genius, mm. but I didn't think it was, I thought it was definitely more of a one person show than a stand-up comedy special. Well, it's interesting that you say that because we started this whole dialogue about putting things in a box, right? And not putting yep. things in a box. And yet we're starting to say, what is a one-woman show and what is stand-up? That, in a sense, is putting things in a box. Well, true. I, I readily admit that. But the box is labeled stand-up comedy, not well, stand-up No, no, the industry, the industry decided what to label it when they put it out on Netflix, right? That's true. That's true. But they the, labeled it stand-up comedy. And when, but when you put that label on it, there is an expectation that you're going to laugh. Am I, is that not true? I don't think we need labels. I, I'm not one who likes labels anyway. I, I, I mean, I think the fact that Tig did that was important and necessary. And the fact I, that we I totally either, agree with that. And the I fact that Hannah, which in her own right, was talking about the same type of injustice in a sense, was 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 her right. But the fact that we need to say that's not stand up is also a fact that we're trying to put something in a box and give it a label when we should never be giving it a label. I mean, I personally love the fact that people are arguing it. Yeah. Is this stand up comedy? Is it not? And most of them, by the way, most of them were men who could not understand it. But yet when Dave Chappelle did it, there was a it was so quiet. It was unbelievable how quiet it was. Well, see, I was and how we're talking brilliant about the, he was. The, the eight, eight minute, 10 second special, you know, um, like, when wow. I when I when I watched it, I, I actually was watching it saying, you know, to my wife, who was the only person in the room. Um, I was saying I was like, this is genius. It's not comedy, but it's genius, you know. And I was saying that about, you know, because I we we know when it's a Dave Chappelle comedy special. And I thought this was clearly not a comedy special, even though it was Dave Chappelle, because he was not making any attempt in it to be funny. I think he was addressing point, a cultural moment. Right. And I think that's right. I think the fact of the need for comedians is to sometimes address a moment and not be funny. And so I, by late, I agree with that. Right. Right. And so by labeling it comedy, it, it, it creates this conversation, which is necessary. So, so let me ask you this then. Was the mistake on the part of the industry to say this is stand-up comedy instead of just saying this is a stand-up show? I don't think so. I think it was brilliant to label it stand-up because we wouldn't be having a conversation. I, don't think, I think it was intentional. Yeah. And I think that comedians, you know, not to drop my podcast, you know, friends like us. But the, <laughs> <laughs> I think we all as comedians 
have those moments when we've been on stage, when we're the sad clown and we've wanted to express it while we're on stage, but felt like we couldn't because, you know, someone is kind of tapping their feet, like, come on, give me the joke, give me the joke, give me the joke. And I think every comic, if they were really honest, they have moments where they just wanted to express whatever that was in that moment that was just like, you know, the pain of the joke, not not necessarily the joke. Now, whether or not a black woman could get away with any of this is also a whole other podcast. But the reason yeah. I created Friends Like Us is because it gave us space for, you know, black women in comedy to not go for the jokes necessarily, but to like let people know who they are, let people find them, people, who, women who, women of color who weren't, you know, um, highlighted by the industry to know who they are, but also to give them a place where they can talk. And what I found was there was so much, there was so much pain and so much hurt and so much that was going on that these women needed to talk about it yeah, yeah. and not in, not in a rushed way and not in a like, you know, every joke per minute podcast way. It just wasn't authentic to them. It wasn't. Can you, and, can you, and, and they were can, funny women. So they always, you know, there's always something funny coming out because yeah. they're funny women, you know, but it wasn't forced. And I think that's what I was going for with my podcast. I'm not saying it's for everybody. I don't think Hannah's for everybody. I don't even think Dave Chappelle's moment is for everyone. I just think it was absolutely necessary at the time to get real about the pain that is going on in in even comics. Because I think yeah. what a lot of people wanted was, was some humanity. And as you know, Greg, as we would go around the comedy scene, you would see comics who didn't even know how to like, wait, hold on, are you okay? <laughs> Do you need, <laughs> are you human? Hello? Like, are you all right though? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we could argue forever. Like did Netflix plan that or who knows? But I think the fact that people were arguing it was part of the beauty of it. That was yeah. the art of it. Yeah. You know? And it is, it is at the end of the day. I mean, we do, you know, the art is the beauty of it. This is an art form. You know, and, and I mean, I think so. Some don't, but yes. <laughs> but it is, and and it, and art can't be put in a box. The more you try and put no. art in a box, the more it blows the box apart and say, "No, I'm art. I do not abide by your rules." And you know, I think you know people that work in in a visual in the painting medium. I think you know were the ones that really kind of face that and and constantly are having to 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 blow that box apart and i think us in the spoken word medium are are kind of facing that now too yeah i mean greg if i had submitted to comedy central me just ranting about injustice they would have sent me packing back to Chicago on the South suburbs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But the, the reality is it's like, it is art and yeah. you can, I mean, I, I, I envy the fact that she was able to do it and that, yeah. they, that, that people, and obviously people needed it. People really responded to it. They did. Absolutely. So, you know, Absolutely. I think that's something since you have young people watching, I think that's an important lesson 
is you find your voice, be authentic in what you do and don't let anyone question it and do it the way you want to do it. Don't let anyone define it for you. Why? And then then when you talk about authenticity, that is, is what you're saying right now is so important because young comedians tend to be so desirous of what the industry wants. What are they going for? And trying to make themselves that. And I always tell them, listen, by the time you become that, they'll have moved to something else. You have to be you and what is right for you will find you. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and sometimes finding you is a long road. It is you know, a long it's not, road. It's not an easy one. Um, and some people find it sooner. And some people imitate other comics and, and become very successful imitating other comics. Um, and, then, and, then, and then guess what? And then they find themselves and they start to become themselves. You know, like in the beginning, I would say like, I emulated a lot of Tony Woods on stage. I would kind of be laid back and... Mm-hmm. You know, I used to watch a lot of Richard Pryor, you know, mm-hmm. albums and watch Richard Pryor um, I, before, you know, <laughs> now you can't even mention Bill Cosby, but I would watch the way he told a story, you know, yeah. Wanda Sykes. I was watching a black woman on stage who was telling jokes in the way that I wanted to tell them and it influenced me, you know, and so on that journey, you, you just, you see what you like, you take a little bit and then you become yourself. And some people, it just takes a longer time. Wow. I mean, that's so yeah. true. That's so real. And, and, and it's inevitable because I don't think, cause when you go into it, you can't help kind of emulating what you enjoyed, what you saw that you liked and saying, I want to do that. And I think when you first start out, it's hard. It's, yeah, it's, it's impossible hard. to not do that. And then slowly you begin to find your own process and find your own voice and find your own rhythm and find your own style. And, and, but I, I think that that, uh, I think that that's, that, that's a very true, very real statement that, that a lot of people wouldn't be willing to make a lot of, a lot of comics yeah. would want to say, Oh no, I've always been original from day one. It's just me. And, and, you know, it's so funny, you know, uh, a lot of times when I've been on the road, you know, I'll let the club book the feature and, the, uh, and when I see these guys, I can immediately pinpoint who their favorite comedian is. And it's always kind of a funny little game for me to, to, to kind of say to somebody else, watch, he's going to say so-and-so. Hey, who's your favorite comedian? And immediately they say it right away. And, I, and I'm like, uh, it, it shows. Nothing, nothing How many Bill Burr's out there? So many. So many. And a lot now there's a lot of Theo Vaughn's coming around, too. Oh, there's really? Of, oh, yeah. There's a lot of Theo Vaughn's coming around with the way that he talks and the oh, I don't, verbiage I don't, he uses. Okay. That's a West Coast thing. That's more of a West Coast Oh, that's thing, a West sure. Coast. Oh, we're yeah, so definitely. tribal. I know. it is. Well, the vibe is different between New York and L.A. comedy. That's for sure. I mean, yeah. it, is, it is a distinctly different vibe, and I've always enjoyed Which the New York like? vibe a lot more. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, yeah. yeah. The New York vibe is, 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 is just so much more real. You know, I, I've always felt comics should should definitely cut their teeth in New York before coming to L.A. Yeah, because L.A. just becomes about the game, you know, and, and that's exactly it's a disservice to the art, as we say, part of the journey. Now, let's let's talk about success in stand up, which you have you've seen tremendous success. And I'm, I, I every time I see you I do have. something, I am so excited for you and I'm so proud of you. I'm just always like, go, Marina, go. 
Um, you can ask my wife. When I saw you, when I saw your name come up on the Late Show with Colbert, I was like, "Oh my God, Marina's on! Marina's on!" And I like, I was, I, I it was, it was I, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. It was such a pure joy to watch you on that show. So now, but you've done Conan. You were even part of the tour that he put together. You were on Conan's tour of comedians, mm-hmm. Late Shows, Stephen Colbert, these things. What would you do? You think was the turning point? for you in your career? If you could try and pin it to one or two moments, what were what were some of the things that you thought were, were kind of, because, you know, it's like, it's like nothing happens and then, and then everything changes in a day, you know? So what would you say if you could pin it down to one or two moments that you were like, okay, this is big. What, what were those moments and, and what was it like going into those and, and having those happen to you? So the moments that I, I realized that this is this is big, right? Yeah. Um, was when he came out of the shower. No. Oh <laughs> 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 um, no! I was like, "This is huge!" Oh, oh my. my! Hello, darling. Um, no. <laughs> no, I think for the the very first big one that I don't mind really talking about is Last Comic Standing, because that was like. You remember, Greg, we were like still kind of going around and figuring things out. Oh, and then yeah. I didn't even want an aud- to audition for it. And it changed my whole life. It changed the whole path of where I was going. I, after I was seen on Last Comic Standing, club owners opened up their doors to me. Wow. And I was able to work mainstream, which means I was able to work on my craft in a legitimate place, like in clubs. You know, like, yeah, I didn't have to run and do like, remember, I would do spin cycle comedy, laundry. Not that mm-hmm. those weren't fun. Those were fun. Did you do the spin cycle comedy? Oh, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jody Wasserman and Dan Natterman did laundry mads. And, and I remember like Judah Friedlander and Artie Fuqua, who were passed at the cellar, would come over there. I was like, why are you doing our laundromat? You got the cellar. <laughs> but, you know, when you pa- when you have. Uh, something as big as like a network, like last comic standing, recognizing you. And I passed and I, I was, I mean, you know, we're speaking of Tony Woods and, you know, I was like up against my hero, you know, I was on the same, but, you know, and that show was so not me because I don't like competitions. I never think that they, everything about it is wrong. I mean, first of all, comedy is completely subjective, but right. it, it, it did give me a place where people, it was the first time where a huge number of people outside of the New York area was recognizing who I was, liked what I was doing or didn't like what I was doing. I had to deal with that. And that was a big moment for me. As much as I, I hate competitions, I, I, you know, I, I really would never do them again, but I have to say that because I did that, it was like, oh my God, like I'm going to Las Vegas to come to be televised on NBC. I can tell my dad I'm on TV, you know, and then like my grandma, I'm on TV. I mean, that was like huge, you know, I I was like, this is exciting, you know, and I, and then seeing like the club that I didn't pass, which was the comic strip. And Lucian, who would book, all of a sudden, him, that, I remember the interview with him where he didn't pass me. He was like, well, I could kind of see it. I could kind of see how you're funny, but then I kind of, you know, I mean, you do this accent. 
I think I, I think I know what region it's from. I think I, I actually know the region, you know, and, but you do this, you do this joke about the continent of Africa on your head. I mean, it's a little contrived. I mean, I don't really believe that you had the continent of Africa on your head, you know? And so from that moment of rejection to this big smile and like, oh, this girl's funny and just complete support. I could see him in the audience. I mean, and Lucian was not nice to a lot of people. No, he was know? there. He relished being a <clears throat> to comedians. Mm. But, you know, him smiling in the audience at me was like a complete turnaround. I was like, oh, I must have tapped into something finally. Yeah. Oh, all the work, all of the, you know, running this, the pavement in New York City, late night spots at New York Comedy Club, getting on at two o'clock in the morning, then getting up to work the next day at yeah. seven o'clock. No sleep. Getting yeah. up every single day, which, by the way, that's an advice I give to comics. You got to get up every single day. There is no day. This is a hard time. Yes, the pandemic is is hard and you could take the break and it, you could come back and do that again. Get up every day when you you're vaccinated and it's safe. <laughs> I got to say that because I see some of the desperateness out of young comics and I understand it. I because I was there Um and I'm not going to say I understand it now because I'm not there, but I do empathize with the fact that you need to get out and get up, but it's not safe. So know. you can take this break. You, It will all still be there for you. And then when you go back to it, then, yeah, you get up every single day that you can and you get better. Yes. Yeah. And so it was nice because that work, if you put in the work and you commit to the work, the success will be there for you. It will. But yeah, you have to coming. be funny. <laughs> that is key. You better. Be it helps funny. to be funny. It yeah. helps to be funny. So that and you know what's funny? People don't really give Last Comic Standing credit because they say it never really made any big stars, but it really broke so many comics onto that next level. You yeah. know, even Adam Hunter. Again, I you know going back to that, he was a guy that he got the Tonight Show because he got screwed on Last Comic Standing. <laughs> Yeah, it so, always it always rejection even on last comic standing. I mean, I mean, let's be honest, the show was awful in its like sincerity. It wasn't at all sincere about the stand up. They were casting a house. Yeah. They were, they were casting. Um but the the benefits from it were great. Yeah. And I can't I cannot argue that. Yeah. They were. They put me on the map when I wasn't. I remember right. Barry Katz smiling at me and going, I bet you didn't think you could get it. And I'm doing Lucian again as Barry Katz. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> he was like, I bet you didn't think you'd even go this far. And it was just, you know, hey, it wasn't, it, it did, it, it served its purpose at its time. Absolutely. It really did. And it did. It helped a lot of comedians get on the map. And it always takes one thing. And that was the thing. And I remember that was like, that was, that was like 2005. I think it was. Oh, I don't know. Something like that. It was a bit ago. I, Cause I remember it was before I left New York. Uh, so, which was 2006. So now let's just really talk about, because this journey is filled with so many peaks and valleys, you know, at every level. Sometimes you think you're, uh, you're in, you know, and you're getting it, but that doesn't mean it's all, you know, pumpkin pie and whipped cream. 
Um, so share with us both some of your, maybe what you would consider your highest high and maybe what you would consider your lowest low in terms of the business, in terms of the journey of comedy. If you could, if you know, if you could think, and maybe not, maybe you don't want to share with us the lowest low, but you know what I mean? Like uh, there's got to, there, there, I know there's <laughs> points that stick out in my mind as lows. And I know there are points that stick out in my mind as absolute highs. So if you were to maybe share with us one of each, I'll share if you don't mind. Well, I was going to say that within the last comic standing thing was also the lowest, not the lowest low, but <clears throat> as I talked about the highs, I also say that the lowest point of last comic standing was in realizing that it was never about me being funny. And I, <clears throat> and I talk Oof. about that moment because it can be that fast, the highest highs, the lowest lows can be within the moments of the highest highs. So like, oh, I, I understand Jim. I remember the moment when I realized that they were casting was because on that episode, that was when they, the, it was actually televised that they had select, the judges had selected people that weren't going into the house. That and I remember Brett Butler was one of the judges. I remember her going, Marina, I'm and she because she voted, uh, I guess, for me and yeah. she was upset. And I remember it was Dan Natterman was the one that everybody was talking about saying he had the set of his life but didn't go through. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was personally like, I thought I had the set of my life, but okay, <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure I felt like I was the set of my life. I was life. like, sure wasn't it me? Um, but no, you know, <laughs> but you had one of those sets. It was it was a it was an awakening moment for me, um, because I had thought at that before that point, I thought that the industry was fair, mm. and that crushed me. That broke my heart because I was a young comic. I was a young girl. I don't know why I thought it was fair, but for some reason, I had thought that just being funny was good enough. And I thought that I just thought that, that being too. good was good enough. And I'll never forget the sinking feeling. It was disgusting, actually. It felt gross. Um, yeah. And I remember going, oh, my God, none of this is what I thought it was. It's kind, kind of like, you know, how, how maybe white people are waking up during the pandemic and going, oh, none of this was what I thought it was, <laughs> you know, um, and black people were like, this is what it been like, you know, so. <laughs> this is what it's been like for us the whole time. It would have been like, but I don't know why I was under that delusion either. You know, I don't know well, why. Because you were hoping that that was true. You were I, hoping I to find out that, that it was it was a fair fight. Mm. And I thought at that level in any way, I, I really didn't have, you know, in that way, maybe I was Pollyanna. And maybe that's why Bonnie had said what she said. And then she said she saw me later and she said it was gone. And I go, it was probably that moment. Wow. It broke my cherry of thinking anything was actually possible if you were just good at it. At right. that moment, I realized that was not the case. It was really a business and you really had to maneuver the business and you really had to, yes, you had to, you had to dress right. You had to look good. You had to be a type what right. type was Marina Franklin at the time when even to this day, 20 something years later, they still can't figure out what type 
I am. So no wonder, no wonder I never, but you, so maybe it's a blessing in disguise, right? Because maybe at the time, if I had figured that out, I wouldn't be the comic I am today because I would have tried to fit into that box that would have put me in a house. Right. Ooh. And so, yeah, (laughs) you know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. All I know is that was probably that lowest moment is the one that I'll share. I mean, there's several low moments. I I remember doing the Jay Leno show, uh, the one when they came back from. It was kind of like, like we moved to 10 p.m. Like he'd give yeah, it up like, the Tonight Show, then all of a sudden he was just the Jay Leno show one hour earlier. It was kind Isn't of like a, it was kind of that period when like Conan was supposed to be the person and then Jay Leno didn't right. really let go and he had like 20 correspondence and like I was one of the correspondents and I remember like being shuffled off in like a really fancy car every week and flown first class to LA I mean that was just unbelievable I still sounds unbelievable oh Greg it was so nice like the guy's like I'm here downstairs I'm like okay you know and and there's nothing like flying first class like nothing Nothing. It's hard to go back. It's hard to go back. It is. It's so hard. It's like, I literally think they shouldn't even call it like coach and first class. They should call it pleasure or pain because in one side, it is a pleasure <clears throat> to have you here. Would you like a drink? Can we put your feet up? Would you like me to have a warm, wet towel? And then on the other side, it is physical agony yeah. to be back there. Uh, can I get, can I, you guys, can I go to the restroom? <laughs> like, I know. It, 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 the difference is wild. And so they were flying you out first class. Like that's the life. I had good, cause I had this uh, great uh, scene where these women were in a hair salon and it was in Harlem and we were talking about change and diversity and, and mm. uh, gentrification and ge- not diversity, gentrification. That'd be yeah. funny if diversity equal gentrification. No. And so what <laughs> happened was um, I was like, you know, some things you can't go to a white hair salon, get your black done, hair, hair done. You know, you can't go to a white hair salon in Harlem. You got to go to a black hair salon. And it was really funny. Those women were really funny. And it was really, it was a great. And then I guess they didn't know. It just didn't work out. The show wasn't really, you know, it wasn't us, but, you know, I was laid off. Yeah. They told me they were like, Marina, we loved you. You know, they do. And yeah. I remember my manager at the time, Bob Wax, who, by the way, I loved not, you know, and he used to be Eddie Murphy's manager back in the day. And okay, right. Bob Wax was one of, one of the few managers I had that really, really went at people when they didn't give me opportunities. And he said to the executive, I want you to call Marina and tell her why you're doing this to her. I'll never forget it. The guy called me. He said, listen, Marina, it's undeniable what you do on camera. Very few people have it. Very few people have, you just light up the screen. There's something you do with your face. It's subtle. It works. It's talent. It's not even, it's gift. It's not even, but at this time, the show is not really doing well. And it was so sad. I was like, oh my God, no more rides. 
No more first class. <laughs> I know. It sucks I wasn't coming away. back. I had to see Elon Gold jumping back every week. Hello, correspondent Elon Gold. I was like, oh. Oh, 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 oh. that guy's back Minecraft to, services. Yeah, back to the grind. Yeah, back to the grind. Back That's to the, exactly each, right. each time. Back to the grind. Yeah. But hey, who's well, and that's the thing is, But exactly. And that's the thing is you have to love the grind. Yeah. You're never going to make it if you don't love the, because that's the foundation. That's the track. You have to love being on that grind. Because if you don't, you're not going to get to those moments. You Because it isn't all, even while you're there and you don't stay there, it's not all about those, those moments come, those moments go. You have to love, okay, back to the clubs. Back to getting on stage, back to, you know, the bars, back to doing the grind. I mean, if you don't embrace the grind and love the grind, I mean, that's that. That Don't you agree that that's that's the majority of this? I still think of you and I <laughs> just hitting the pavement. You and I. We had All so, the time. We had so much fun. We did. It was. And honestly, I knew I knew then I knew then I was like. This is the best time of my life. And I know I, it's hard for me to appreciate it now because it's so hard. But I know, I know when it's over, I'm going to look back at this and go, that was the best time of my life. We had so much fun, Greg. So much fun. New York I mean, was fun. And I, I miss was... you when you're not here. Like, I know, <laughs> I know you're really an L.A., a California boy. Yeah, well, I was born in Cali, raised in Texas, born in Cali, and, and I have gotten very comfortable. Cali does make you, it makes you a puss. It really does. It makes it hard to, like, mm. I know, the idea of going, <laughs> the idea of going back to New York and get, getting back in that hard work, I'm like, I don't know, the weather's real nice here. <sighs> I got an apartment where I can't touch the walls with my arms. It's pretty nice, you know. I know, I know. So, but, but, but. Back to to your journey and what you, you one of you know you're in the movie Trainwreck, the Amy. Oh, that's movie. right. And <clears throat> you know you and I bring this up because you are in the best scene of the movie, and I found it so funny because you're in the scene with Keith Robinson as your boyfriend, who I know had been your boyfriend at one time. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he was during the filming of this. I know you guys nah. are still friends, right? It was, you know, you guys are still friends though. And mm -hmm. but the scene with you and Keith, and then her with John Cena, and he's yelling out all those gay insults where he's trying to act all tough, but he's, you know, he's saying all those great, you know, like, oh, I'll suck your dick until this, you know, until this, so whatever it was. And I'm dying laughing. And all I wanted to know was, okay. How much were how many times were you guys dying laughing shooting it? Was it was it as fun? Was it hard not to break? Because you guys have to keep this look on your face of what's wrong with you? And for me, I would have busted a million times to see John Cena, this monstrous man, saying these ridiculous things. And you guys' reactions were hysterical as well. That's my favorite scene in the whole movie. What was it like to shoot that scene? Well, I mean, it was. It was fun, but it was also scary because it was improv. I mean, it that's was improvised. Yeah, it was all improv. It was like we had. I mean, Amy gives you a lot of freedom, and Judd Apatow yeah. that he's brilliant in the way that he knows the best stuff is going to come from the comedians. And just like right. I said earlier, you can't write 
what naturally comes out of you that is actually fun. The funniest stuff that comes from you comes from you, right? right. Not what right. you're thinking. Once you go, how can I make this funnier? I mean, you know, the reason that's why we have so many unsus unsuccessful uh, sitcoms. But the thing is, is like, <laughs> it's really like, it. you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I see the point. It, it's forced and it's forced out of fear. Uh, this writing of comedy, I get it. You know, make your check. But the thing is, is like, like Keith is a funny guy. You got to let him roll. Right. You got to let him just say what's going to come out. And it was easy for me in a way because I could just kind of react. And Keith and I, we've been in those positions before in movie theaters. So we just played up. I mean, I am an actress in the beginning. You know, I went to Syracuse for acting. So for me, it's just about being in the moment. Now, was I, was I breaking laughter? Uh, no, I was actually really in the character of like, who is this guy? And I don't know. It's, I think that scene captures male and female relationships on dates when they get mm -hmm. in fights with other dates so well. Right. Everyone yeah. has been there with their guy where they're like, this guy is talking shit to you. You know, yeah. and I, I didn't even realize, but I saw the scene afterwards where I'm still eating popcorn. <laughs> you know, while this is all going you on. Just keep going with it. Just, I'm a very subtle person. So, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, it's like it comes out in that way. But, you know, Keith was so brilliant in a lot of the things that he was saying. He's just rolling. Yeah. Over, you know, because totally. that's what he does. You know, and it was, I, it know, felt super organic. Absolutely. Yeah, because it, it was. I mean, I would say yeah. I got, I was, I was bloated the next day of all the popcorn. From all the popcorn. Oh, all the salt. Popcorn. Yeah. But it was a fun scene. It was a fun scene. And I knew it was great when we, when we filmed it. I was like, this is, you, is this, when you're in a scene, you're like, this is some good shit right here. Right. Yeah. You know when you're hitting it. You know when you're getting the the real laughs. You know I did that show with with Craig. This is one of the reasons we're 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 good friends is because I did a, a show with him called Ghosted, and I was you know um, one of the cast members with him. And so we spent a lot of time. And there were times when we were improvising, particularly when he and and um, <clears throat> Adam Scott would really get going, where I'm like, this is just so funny these you know we are really getting something here like i you know and you i would just try i'm just trying to hold it together to cut just get us to the cut and i could start laughing you know yeah. and and you know when you capture it when you really capture it you know you know when it's happening and, and it's hard to to remain in the moment and not want to like step outside and like watch <laughs> on your you know so i i get it i feel you on that count now I want to ask you about something very specific. And I'm, I'm I, do you need another little beverage or sorry, you got the, the itch on no, I, I mute every time it does that. It's I've my doc, my uncle's a doctor, so he told me what to do. So I'm actually oh, okay. better than I was, believe it or not. That's good, good, good. Um you feel bad now I want I want to ask you about something, and this is something I'm asking you because you are uh, a, a veteran comedian, uh, but you're also a female comic, and so this is an issue that that I don't know how to address as a male comic. So I want to ask you about it, and hopefully, you know, if you don't want to discuss it, then we can just I'll cut it out. That's totally I fine. I always give them a pad if they want one. 
If they're on their period, I just, I slip it under the door stool. No, I, it's about dating other comics because we, we, I mean, we, there, we've seen a few successful comic, comic marriages like Rich Voss and Bonnie McFarlane, Al Ducharme and Bernadette Polly. Um, Here in LA, we have TK Madison and Kara Kimbrough. Uh, So we've seen it work. Um, Now I, I never really dated other, other comics that much. Um, but but for for a female comic and you're around male comics and you know they want to go out with you and stuff like that for other female comics and that having had that experience uh, do what do you have advice for them in terms of of what that is like or can do or shouldn't do or anything that you could tell them don't <laughs> don't do it <laughs> Cause I blew it, <laughs> it. Don't do it too. Don't do it. <laughs> Enough said. So that is your advice. Don't do it. Just stay away from it. Yeah. I mean, I did it several times. It was wrong. It was mistakes. Mistakes have happened. Mistakes were made. And, and, and yeah. look, if I was to look back, as an older comedian talking to my younger self, I said, girl, put that pussy away. No, uh, <laughs> uh, just, you know, look, <laughs> it, it works for some. I mean, I won't say that I regret the, the people that I were with. Like I dated Keith at one point, you know, and that was very short, very small. It wasn't even, it's like, bleep, like, you know, we yeah. we're like, we're like best friends. You know, yeah. um, so I don't regret that. You know, um, <clears throat> the other comics that I've dated in the past, I absolutely love them, you know, uh, but it just didn't work out. Um, but it was difficult in the fact that, you know, and women understand this, men have a very difficult time with women who are doing the same thing that they're doing and being better at it. So um, it was one of those things where men hide it they'll hide it for a while. So they don't show you that that's what's going on, but that is what's going on. It's just, it's just how they're made. Yeah. Very, very weak. No. Um, But I, I, yeah, but I I would say it it, it works for Bonnie and rich, you know, God bless them. It works for Al Ducharme, but they're also, it works for them because it works, you know, when it doesn't work, it's most of the time it doesn't work. And right. so it, I would say those like, are definitely more exceptions than they are. are the rule oh, are they exceptions? But yeah. for me, I mean, as an older woman, mm. it was a lot of like <laughs> what I wouldn't do to just get away from the comedy scene to be with a man who is doing something different. Yeah. I mean, I'm a very I like part of this isolation in the pandemic because I like actually being away from the comedy scene. I was around it for so long. Is refreshing to me. I like getting into what men do that aren't comedians. Right. So, and also, you know, I want to get away from my work when I come home. So, yeah. you know, it, it's just, it's a mess. You know, it's called shitting where you eat. Yes. There's a reason why they call it shitting where you, or eating where you shit. What I'm one of those. Anyway, don't do it. It's just a bad idea. And then you have to see that person. 
and you have to see them still doing comedy and still right, being on Instagram or TikTok, you know, doing dumb little videos. And, yeah. you know, it's it's painful because you've broken up with this person, but there some and and then your comic friends are not really nice because they'll be like, did you hear what so and so did? Yeah. Really? Thank you. Really? I need to know that. Right. You, you just you don't need things in your way. Is so much right. already in your way, especially as a comedian. There's so many things just in your way that, you know, but if it, if it works, it works. Like I said, there are exceptions. There yeah. are exceptions. And if it works, got, good for you. But if you see the, the red flag of it not working, get the hell out fast. Yeah. My, my suggestion would be, Set up your family now. Don't let your career define every move you make. If you want to have a family, if you feel like that's what you want to do. I always tell female comics, freeze your eggs because I wish I had done that, you know, because I was always going for my dream and not realizing that I'd get to one, one point and turn around and the clock was actually, it has stopped. You know? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, it happens. It happens to a lot of women, not just in comedy. So yeah. I've told a couple of female comics to freeze their eggs and they they thanked me for it. They're like, Marina, because of you, I actually investigated how to freeze my eggs. And now I don't feel like there's such a rush, you know, and I could focus right, on my right. career and I can still get the family because the guys in the comedy scene, you'll notice that they'll have their family and everything and they'll still be out on the road not the same for female comics so we put mm. our stuff aside for a very long time we focus on our career for a very long time and then we find out by the time you're at a place where you're comfortable and everything it's it's too late right. so yeah. take take care of it all don't just take care of your career take care of it all and i will give you a tampon or a pad if you're in the stall next to me <laughs> that's all that's community saying. right there i that's got community. you i got you girl <laughs> that's the so, female point of view <laughs> I, it's very important i love it i love sharing this now now you you obviously you've accomplished a lot with your career but there's always there's always more to be accomplished and there's always gaps on the resume that you specifically would like to fill in you know that you're like I would really like to do this I really so what are some of the things that you you still consider you know th gaps on the resume that you want to fill in what are some of those things that are still out there for you Well I mean I would still like uh, another special one hour special um, it's going to be a while. I have to figure this out. This pandemic has put a delay on so much, but yeah. I think my goal is to perform for an audience carved out for me, like an audience in great number that is coming to see me. So I don't have to sort of go outside or go within the box in order for them to like me. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's the priority. It was never to be a star, by the way. Right. Um, okay. I, I was told very early on in my career, and you know, a lot of managers, a lot of agents will ask you, what do you want to do? And without realizing, I think I'm doing it. Right. <laughs> right. You know, but it's not enough for them. So, but I think the reality is if you really want to be a comic, right? If you want to, yeah. if you love the craft of being a comedian, yeah. And if you've gotten to the point where you can perform every single day <clears throat> and you can make people laugh, 
and you can support yourself and you can have a home, you can buy a home and have a stable income, you're doing it. Yeah. You know, if you want to be a celebrity, I'm not the person to help you out because that's something else. That means that you're not about being authentically in this as a comic. Yeah. That means you want to be a celebrity. And I, I'm not the person for you if that's what your quest is. But yeah. I, I would say that is the thing I would like, Greg, is to have a larger audience that I can perform to. Um, and I'm not talking about Madison Square Garden, but that wouldn't be bad. It's just right. to me that to me, that's not the art form, but that's a whole different thing. I'm not going to get into that. I would just like to have a larger audience that knows Marina Franklin so that I don't have to ever, ever try to climb back into that box that they've created for me. That's it. That's awesome. Oh yeah. A Marina Franklin show. <laughs> a Marina I don't Franklin shake show. a dang, dang. <laughs> That's the title of my show. My show is called shake a dang, dang. <laughs> shake a dang, dang. I, I just cheered uh -oh. the mic. <laughs> well marina thank you so much for your time here today Aww. thank you for this an enlightening and and brilliant interview and sharing with us your experience uh not just as a brilliant com comedian but a, but as a woman in the arts it, it, you know it's really it, it's a pleasure to hear your perspective and your journey if you do, now you've already offered so much advice to young comedians. Uh, I feel like, like, like asking this final question is almost redundant, but if there were any final, just bits of any piece of advice that you think developing comedians need to hear, whether it's about lifestyle, the creative process, their commitment, level, whatever it might be about, if there's some final piece that you would like to leave with uh, comedians out there that are, that are still finding their feet in this game, what would it be? Eat lots of kale, um, baby spinach, preferably to <laughs> take your vitamins, vitamin E, vitamin C, D is good. Uh, <laughs> make sure you have a lot of smoothies. Every day should be a smoothie. Uh, the point I'm making is there is nothing that I haven't said already that you don't know. It's about knowing who you are as an artist and sticking to it. And it is not easy. But if right. you keep that through line throughout your process, you'll be okay. Oh, by the way, you have to be funny. <laughs> so you know, I, I say that because is, there's a lot of people who don't know they're not funny. It's incredible. Right. <laughs> it's incredible how... Like there are more people who don't know they're funny than people who, who are actually funny. Right. That's amazing. So yeah, you know, sometimes you have to maybe take a shower and really <laughs> think about it. Lather, you know, taking the, taking the eucalyptus and, and go, am I funny? Am I funny? Ask yourself, has someone said I was funny recently? <laughs> has anyone ever said you were funny? Did my mom say I was, did my parents say, were those, was there even a best friend who at one point go, you're fucking hysterical. If none of that applies to you, this whole dialogue is not for you. 
Boy, there it is. Not to put too far oh. a point on it. Oh, here's another one. Oh, yes. And I don't I don't mean to sound bitter here, but younger comedians, this generation of duets <laughs> and TikTok. Right. Um, do your own work. Be when I say be authentic, that means like you got to do the work and be good at it as you. You can't be anyone else. You can't write. You can't take anyone's joke and expect it to work for you. You have to. You have to really come from your own experiences, and do that because outside of that, it's just you're stealing. So mm. you know premises. By the way, you can steal a premise, and it is stealing. So mm. a lot of comics, young comics don't know that. They're like, oh, that's a good premise. And then they run with it and they put their own jokes on it. No, you can't do that. Mm. You have to actually work hard at writing a good joke and making it yours. You know, um, and that's going on quite often, right? Yeah. Now. So yeah. I would say that it's, it's very clear to me. Those are the ones that want to be celebrities and not be good. Right. And that's really, that's very, it's, it's epidemic over here in Los Angeles because LA does attract those that just want to be superstars more than yeah. those that want to really live the craft. And I you know, have seen, have you seen the glaze that comes over their eyes when you tell them it's not about being a celebrity? They're like, well, she's not talking to me. I don't want to do the work part. I don't want to, I just want to get me to the fame part. Give me the, yeah. You got to do the work. To yeah. sum it all up, that is what my British teacher told me years ago, Royal Shakespeare. She goes, if you want to be a sitcom star, that's fine. <laughs> I don't know why she's all like <laughs> Julia Child. She goes, but you've got to do the work. You're not going to be a star. You've got to do the work. There it is. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time here today, Marina. You know that I love you. You know that I'm a huge fan of yours and you've dropped nothing but gold here today. And I'm sure the comedy world thanks you for it too. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I feel dear. like I just went to the bathroom or something. <laughs> I dropped a load. On you did. Show. You dropped it. You did. You dropped a lot. And it, believe me, it is super appreciated. Oh, okay? I love you. You know, I love you. All, All righty. Talk soon. Bye. Ah.